0: Love Talk Radio. And welcome to Red Lake Nation Radio. I'm your host Doug Gray from RedsMinorLeagues.com, and today I'm joined by uh, Bill Lack and Chad Dotson from Red Lake Nation. How you guys doing today?
1: Doing good. How are you today, Doug?
0: All right, well, uh, let's just jump right in. You know, we're limited to 30 minutes today, and, uh, you know, spring training's in week two with everybody in tow. And, uh, you know, one of the big things that I've been concerned about this spring is seeing how Devin Mesoraco and the Miguel Olivo situation plays out. You know, Mezzarocco spent most of the year with us last year at the big league level. He got sent down, you know, in late August and then brought back up in September, but he didn't really play. And uh, there, was, there was some concern that, you know, maybe he wasn't ready, you know, to be in the big leagues this year because he had a disappointing year last year. You know, there were some circumstances going on, you know, with inconsistent playing time. But, you know, Ryan Hannigan was the guy last year. And, you know, he's the better defensive catcher. And last year he was certainly better offensively as well. Um, you know, what do you guys think about this situation, well, Chad, let's let's go to you first. What's your uh, what's your take on the
1: Devin Mesoraco situation? Okay, well you know Ryan Hannigan is is the guy, the n- number one de facto number one guy at this point. And I'm fine with that. Hanigan's one of the more underrated players in the majors. Um, the whole idea that there might be a battle for that roster spot between Devin Mesoraco and Miguel Olivo, I mean, that's uh, well frankly it's, it's it's outrageous. I mean, there shouldn't be any uh, – it should be obvious. There shouldn't be any discussion about it. Um, and, and I want to be optimistic, and I want to say that, uh, you know, competition's a good thing, but when the rubber meets the road, they're going to have Miseraco on the roster. And, uh, you know, Olivo push him a little bit, and he's a good uh, option in AAA in case they need you know, injuries or something like that. Although I don't know that good option is the right word. Ask any Seattle Mariners fan what they think about Miguel Olivo. But uh, this whole idea that uh, that Miseraco had a had a disappointing season, and it was disappointing, but uh, I think that's overblown a little bit. Uh, his quote unquote disappointing season last year, now, certainly it wasn't uh, wasn't very good. He was he did poorly, but uh, this is a classic case: small sample size. I, I'm not ready to make any grand uh, judgments about Devin Mezzarocco's future based on 165 at bats. Uh, he was inconsistent. Uh, young players are inconsistent. Uh, that's just, uh, you can't make an informed judgment about Ms. Rocco based on that much playing time. He's still the guy who came in as the uh, sort of stud prospect catcher. So, in my opinion, it shouldn't even be a question Mr. Rocco should be on this team. I'm very concerned, however, that Miguel Olivo is going to be
0: on the opening day roster. Uh, yeah, I'm with you there a little bit. Uh, Bill, uh, what, what do you think about the situation? No, I think
1: I agree with what Chad's saying, but I'm not as concerned about it apparently as he is because just because of the way the Reds use their their backup catcher, they don't use them for pinch hitting. It's basically a defensive position and double switches, and and even Dusty Baker will understand that that Devin Masarocco is a better option. Um, You know, we talk about, you know, that Devin was disappointing last year. He was. There's no doubt about that but I think a lot of the the disappointment has to do with our expectations of him coming out of AAA, too. Um, We talked about his his, – you mentioned his playing time being inconsistent, but I went back the other day and looked at at his playing time up until the time he had the concussion, and he was playing two or three games a week which was kind of, what we, you know, everything that was said was kind of what the understanding was coming out of the spring training. So, you know, I think it's fair to say that he was disappointing because he he didn't really grab the the opportunity that he had because he struggled, you know, kind of. But until he played pretty well the first couple of months of the season, Uh, it wasn't until the summertime when when he started to to really, uh, uh, his, his numbers started to tail off. But I'm not concerned about this at all. I, I'll be very, very surprised if he isn't on the 25-man
0: roster. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that he has the uh, the lead going into, I guess, the next few weeks. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, the fact that he's already on the 25-man roster and Miguel Olivo's not gives him an edge right off the bat, um, that Olivo would definitely have to outperform him probably by a significant margin to – you know, take his spot away because the Reds would have to make a 40-man roster move and cut someone off of the roster in order to bring him onto the roster. Um, but, you know, one thing that you had mentioned is that, you know, Masarocca was playing two, sometimes three times per week. And, you know, while you're right there, I think that one of the things, especially in the first half of the season with the way the pitching, catching breakdown went, you know, he was going three or four days without playing, and then he'd play one day, one day skip a day, one day, and then he'd be off three or four more days. I think that it's just really hard for, especially a younger guy who's always played, he's always been the guy, to really get into the groove, you know, with, you know, his his swing and, I mean, even defense sometimes because he was going so long without playing. While he was playing two or three times a week, you know, the gap in between the times that he was playing was so big that, you know, it's almost like he was, you know, the 25th man on the roster with the way that he was being handled sometimes. Um I know, Chad, did you have anything else that you wanted to get on on this, on this topic?
1: Yeah, I think you guys are both uh, sort of making me feel maybe a little bit better. Uh, maybe I'm just looking for an area to be too worried, uh, as I commonly do. Uh, but he, you got to think he's got to be on the roster. But one more quick point that I, I think both of you are actually uh, so, sort of right. I'm ready to jump on the Reds for what I perceive as possible slight here with Miserocco. A lot of people were quick to jump on the Reds last year for the, the playing time issue. They thought Miserocco should have been playing a lot more. Um, and, and it is tough to get in a groove when you're not playing consistently. But I gotta say, I was actually very pleased with how the Reds, until the end of the season, with how the Reds uh, portioned the playing time and really handled Mesorocco in his first uh, extended shot at the big leagues. You got a guy like Ryan Hannigan, who obviously uh, defensively is superb, and but who also gets on base a lot. And uh, you know, uh, the fact that they split up the playing time and it's probably sixty forty, I guess, uh, between Hannigan and Mesorocco, I didn't have a problem with that. At some point. You hope they still believe that Mizrako is the catcher of the future, Um, and there's no problem in my mind easing him into that role. Um, But it's time this year to you know let's let's get serious about this thing, and uh, you know maybe 60-40 is not maybe 50-50 be better. But either way, I think Devin Mizrako needs to be on this opening day roster if he is in fact the uh, catcher of the future. I hope the Reds still believe that he is. I do think they still believe he is. Well, I I think they do too. Go
0: ahead, Bill. I'm sorry.
1: This goes back to something that's kind of been an ongoing point by a couple of people on the blog, where they, they feel like the Reds have lost faith in Devin Miserocco. And all the, and, and I just to me, that's ludicrous. It's not even worth the the, the, the time spent talking about it. There's no way that this team has given up on a kid that's, what, 25? And he's, he's got 100 and some at-bats in the big leagues. you think they're going to throw the talent on him? I and mean, that's just ludicrous to even consider it. You, you look at the first 100 at-bats that Johnny Bench had in the big leagues, and his OPS plus was 26. Now I'm not saying Devin Mesoraco is going to be Johnny Bench, but you don't draw
0: conclusions on 100 at bats. I think you just I said Devin, Devin
1: Mesoraco is going to be Johnny Bench.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure he went that far, but he actually did bring up something that I want to talk about. You know, not that Mesoraco can be Johnny Bench. I mean, especially defensively, uh, there's no chance Johnny Bench was the greatest defensive catcher ever. He changed the way that everything was done behind the plate, but. I think that one of the reasons that I'm so, you know, concerned, I guess, with the way that the Reds handled Nezorocco is that he could be the guy that they could put in the middle of the two lefties. Um, and they, can, they really did never give him a chance to get his back going. And I think that, you know, if they go with the same kind of plan that they did this year or they did the last year or this year, that they're really going to set back his development. And I know that a lot of people say, you know, you don't develop guys at the major league level. You kind of do. I mean, no rookie has ever come up and not had, you know, or, well, I guess there's some rookies that came up and didn't have a, you know, development period. But almost all rookies come up and have some sort of development period. But, you know, if the Reds go with something, you know, 60-40 for Hannigan again, you know, we're going to go through two full seasons where Devin Miserocco got half a season's worth of at-bats between the two of them. And that's just not something that I think that you can do with, you know, your top prospects from two years ago and still, you know, have have him planned as your future catcher. You know, I think that it's just something that will set him back and the organization back. They need to figure out a way to either get him more playing time, or if you're going to commit to Ryan Hannigan moving forward, then, you know, send him to AAA, let him hit, build up some trade value, and get something for him. I just don't see a way where it's good baseball business to have Devin Masarocco waste all of that value, be it, you know, being a backup for two or three years rather than, you know, Use him as a trade asset and go all in for the next two or three seasons while we've got all of these guys under control still.
1: Well, I don't think there's any way in the world that he's not that he's going to catch more than two, maybe three games a week. With uh, this team, if he if he played a different position, it would be a whole different ballgame. But with him having, with the catching position being so important to the pitching staff, and this team expected to go go deep, deep, deep into the playoffs. I think I think you're kidding yourself if you think he's going to catch any more than two or three games a week.
0: Well, let me ask you this. What is your take on how they break up the catching situation? You know, I, I don't like the fact that each guy has their guy. You know, if you go through, let's just say that everybody stays healthy through, you know, midway through September. If each guy is just catching their starting pitchers, what happens if one of the guys gets hurt, you know, say the last week of September and they're out for the playoffs? You know, then you're going to have Ryan Hannigan or Devin Mezzarocco as the only catcher on the staff that has caught, you know, half the guys. But then they haven't caught any of the other guys at all. I think that that's something that if the Reds do decide to go with some sort of split situation, that they need to work in both catchers with all of the pitchers. Our pitchers are good enough on their own that they can adjust to the catcher behind the plate. I mean, yes, catcher will make a little bit of a difference, but our pitchers are good because they're good. It's not like Ryan Hannigan is turning, you know, Bronson Arroyo into Justin Verlander. You know, they are
1: what they are. Well if uh if Ryan Hannigan can turn Bronson Roy into Justin Berlander, I'm all for that. Uh is that an option? Uh, um uh, yeah, I, I wish. I, yeah, really. I'm, yeah, I, I probably am not qualified to answer that question. I've never liked this whole idea of I got my personal catcher. Uh you know, it's one thing when it's uh Paul Baco catching one time a week, uh, because somebody liked him. Um but when you got two guys here that both have sort of their unique abilities and uh, both can contribute um, on their own, I, I'm not sure how you apportion it. Probably if, it, if it's up to me, I try to split the playing time as evenly as possible and I, and I get rid of this uh, personal catcher nonsense because it doesn't make sense. Uh, there might be a guy you – may, you may want a little more power, you know, with uh, Miserocco, his bat in the lineup during a certain game, uh, for example, in the postseason. You're not going to play him just because uh, – Ryan Hannigan is somebody's personal catcher. It doesn't make sense to me. So, um, but the number of things that don't make sense to me uh, of what goes on in baseball are a lot. So I'm just I sort of called myself out there. But what do you think, Bill? I, I, I'm the same way. I, I, even though, if I was a pitcher, I understand that being comfortable with a catcher and a guy that you you work with well and that kind of thing, and and, you, and you're worried about. You know, you're, you only get one shot every five days to be successful, and you want to get, be, have all the possible, the best tools to accomplish that that you can. So I understand it from the pitcher's perspective, but but I'm with you. I think it I think it, it can short short arm the ball club. I think it can handicap the ball club. And, and like Doug said, in the case of an injury, or just in the case of, of, of you know, it's like when you bring somebody new in that you work with. A fresh set of eyes can make all the difference in the world too. A different perspective.
0: Well, this is uh, certainly one of those uh, divisive topics in red, red land right now, but uh, let's uh, let's go to something else. Uh, We're we'll running a little bit lower on time. Um, the red bullpen, um, you know, they've got the Aroldis Chapman scenario, and as me and Chad discussed last week, you know, one of the plans that the Reds had discussed was putting Chapman in the bullpen to start the season. Uh, I, I think that either way, though, they're going to have, Chapman and Leak on the roster. I don't think that they're going to send Mike Leak down to Triple A if they go with Chapman from the start. So let's just assume that one of those guys is a lock for the bullpen. You're going to have to assume that Sean Marshall, Jonathan Broxton, and Sam are also locks. Um, you know, Simon and Arodondo are out of options, so you're probably going to think that they're there also. They're probably not just going to cut one of those guys off of the seasons they had last year. You know, assuming no injuries, that means that Logan Andrusic and JJ Hoover are battling out for one spot. And then that doesn't even, you know, bring up, you know, Nick Massett, who he's not going to be ready to start the year, but eventually he might be healthy enough to come to the team and help as well. You know, what do you guys see playing out for the way the bullpen is looking? Um, let's go to Bill first.
1: I Actually, I think uh, Andrews is a lock based on last year. I think the battle is between Hoover and Parra for that last spot. I think Baker's going to want another left-hander. I'll be very surprised if if Hoover makes this team. I think he should, but because I I think I really like the the way the kid pitches, but I think Parra makes this team to give him the second left-hander if if, uh, Chapman's in the rotation. Uh, I agree with you that Leakes can be on this team. Eric will pay him $3 million to to pitch in Louisville. that's the way I see the bullpen shake. I, I, I think I think the whole – this this team – I think the only battle on this team at this point is, is between Hoover and Parra and Meseraco and Olivo. Mm-hmm.
0: Chad, what, uh, what do you
1: think about it? Oh, gosh, I'll tell you what I think about it. I think that uh, Bill's right, that Logan Andrusek is an absolute lock for this team, and I think it's a, a joke that he's uh, considered a lock over J.J. J. Hoover. J.J. J. Hoover's a much, much better option out of the bullpen. Than Logan Andrusik. Um, You know, Andrusic seems like a really great guy. Uh, and I like the guy. He's, you know, I like having him on the roster, and the, the, his teammates seem to like him. And I don't have any problem with Andrusic. He gives his all every single time he goes out there. But he's just, he's not a talent that is J.J. Uh, Hoover. Uh, you look at his stats for the last uh, couple of years, and uh, he's either been very lucky or um, or just plain bad at times. Uh, he, you know, his peripheral numbers are not good. Uh, his building independent pitching numbers are not good, although he you know, a reliever. You wonder how much uh, you can uh, assess uh, a pitcher's worth based on that. But I see nothing about Logan Andrus. He doesn't miss any bats. He doesn't strike anybody out, and he walks too many guys. I just uh, – I don't – I'm not quite sure why the Reds are so enthralled with Logan Andruszek, Um other than the fact that he just seems like a really good guy. J.J. Uh, Hoover does strike people out. J.J. Hoover absolutely should be uh, on this roster. So, um but you know, I I I don't understand why there's even a question. But then they went and signed Andrusic to a two-year deal, and it seems to me like uh, Andrusic's going to be here.
0: Yeah, I, I think you guys are both right that Andrusic's probably going to be a lock, especially because, like you just said, Chad, that he's got that two-year deal. They probably weren't going to sign him to that and then send him to Triple A. You know, I, I think that one of the interesting things that we might see is towards the end of spring that somebody could get traded because. I, mean, I had even forgotten totally about Manny Parra. And, uh, you know, if that leaves with nine, nine guys that have a legit, you know, spot that they could claim in the bullpen and, you know, there, there just aren't that many spots, I think the Reds could end up making a trade that could, you know, bring in some sort of talent to add to the roster, maybe even, you know, a true backup shortstop if none of the guys that they brought in on minor league deals can, you know, take that spot and, you know, do something with it and show that they're the guy, that maybe they could trade one of these excess relievers and, you know, bring somebody else in and not have to send somebody to AAA. It would be a, you know, surprise, you know. I mean, if Logan Idrusik is the last guy out of the bullpen for the Reds, you know, it could it could be a lot worse. You know, his peripherals have been bad, but, you know, he's gotten the job done for the most part over the past few years. And, you know, while I'm with you, I think that Hoover deserved to be on the team, if something comes down to it at the end of the day, I think that he will wind up in A because he has options and he doesn't have the guaranteed money like the other guys do.
1: Yep. yep. You get down to these last couple of spots, it comes down to money and options, if more than talent, I believe. And I think that's Hoover's undoing.
0: Oh, the life of a young baseball player. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> another uh, big story that we've all at least thought about is Billy Hamilton. And, uh, you know, this is the first time he's been in big league spring training. And, you know, he's – I don't even know the right word to describe what he's done to not just Reds fans, but, you know, baseball fans in general. You know, non-Reds fans know who Billy Hamilton is because of just how exciting he can be and how he can change the game with his speed on the bases. Um, You know, the Reds have said that they're going to send him to AAA, and, you know, I – he could have gone out and hit a 1,000 in spring training, which he obviously hasn't. But I think that he really could have done something extraordinary, and they still would have sent him to A because there's just not a spot for him on this team right now as a starter, and they're not going to call him up to be a bench guy. Um, so what do you guys think that he can do, or what he needs to do in A to improve his game enough that, you know, you, you could call him up to be ready for the playoffs, or... You know, is there some situation where you could see that he gets called up to the red before then?
1: Well, yeah, I mean it could happen. I think the key is is, is the guy going to get on base at the uh, major level? And actually, I would direct that back to you, Doug. You're the resident minor league expert. Is this guy going to get on base enough to be a, uh, a a quality major league center fielder? I think he'll be able to play defense. Uh, I think, but uh, will he get on base? You tell me.
0: You know, that's the big question I have. You know, I I think that he's got the right amount of plate discipline, that he can draw walks, especially in the minor leagues where guys don't have as much control. But my biggest concern with him has always been, will he be able to keep pitchers honest? You know, he does not have power at all. And, you know, he's got seven home runs in his minor league career, and four of those have been inside the park home runs. So he's (laughs) been here since 2009, and he's hit three baseballs over the fence. So he's not a threat to pitchers at least to the point where they're going to be afraid to throw him strikes. Now, some guys with similar skill sets have been able to draw walks, but most guys that don't have power aren't going to draw walks because pitchers don't have a reason to not throw them strikes. Uh, So I think that that's going to be the biggest question when it comes to Billy Hamilton is how can he make pitchers be weary of throwing him strikes, um, you know, He's a guy that they can strike out, at least to this point. You know, he struck out 20% of the time he went to the plate last year in Double A. And while that's not necessarily a concern for most guys, when a guy's not hitting the ball over the fence, you know, it leaves less margin for error, you know. And while he can make up for some of that with his speed and beating out infield hits, you know, the fact is he doesn't threaten pitchers and they've been able to strike him out. So, you know, how is he going to be able to, you know, make the adjustment that he needs to to keep pitchers honest against him. And I think that, you know, that's going to be the biggest thing that I'm going to look for while he's in Louisville. You know, what can he do to make more contact? Because even now in spring training, you're seeing that he, you know, it, it's early, so his his swing might not be there yet, especially for a switch hitter because he's not getting as much time, even in the cage, as other guys, because he's working on two different swings. But he struck out more than half of his at bats so far. You know, and strikeouts haven't really been something that had been, you know, not a problem for him, I guess, in the past. Um, so, you know, that's what I'm going to watch for Triple A. Can he avoid the strikeout a little bit more than he has in the past? And, you know, can he hit for extra base, hit power a little bit more than he has in the past? You know, he's getting a little bit older. You know, he's getting more in tune, especially with his left-handed swing, which he's only had for a few years. And even with that, he's been making changes throughout those years, and I, I think he made big progress last year with his left-handed swing. So I want to see less strikeouts and him actually hit for more power, rather than you know him running for extra bases because he's just that fast. You know, uh, go ahead, Bill. The, the two things
1: that occur that, that, uh, to me talking about Billy Hamilton, one of the questions you ask is what he can do to maybe get called up before September. And I think barring an injury to Chu, there's no chance of him getting called up before September. And even if Chu would get hurt, he would have to show a tremendous amount in AAA to even for the Reds to to feel like they were rushing him on. The other thing that concerns me and was in the Enquirer this morning is, you know, we talked about we wanted to be more selective and draw walks and that kind of thing. And you, and you got Dusty in the paper saying it's always good to get hits, but he's been striking out a lot, six out of ten going into Saturday. He's got no chance to do anything. Probably half of those are looking strikeouts. Every time he puts it in play, he's got a chance of something to, of something happening. You know, so there's the Dusty Baker school of hitting, you know, just hack, hack, hack. And, and this is, you know, our top prospect, and we got Dusty trying to tell him that you don't want to be selective at the plate. I mean, that scared the hell out of me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've read that too, and it, it, it did bring up those same kind of thoughts for me as well. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, Billy Hamilton, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm with Duffy a little bit. You know, I've watched Billy Hamilton at the plate probably a thousand times sure. in the past few years. And I, I think that, you know, kind of like Drew Stubbs, although in a different way, but I think that both of them could be more aggressive at the plate. I think that both of them, especially in the minor leagues, looked at too many hittable pitches just to work the count. Uh, so I, I can kind of see where Dusty Baker's coming from there. But you know, I am with you that I think that in general, Dusty does want his guys to swing the bat more than they look at pitches. And not all strikes are the same. And you know, as long as I, as long as Billy's swinging at the right strikes, I'm okay with him looking at a few strike threes.
1: You know, uh, a couple things. First of all. I think that Bill's exactly right. The only way that uh, Hamilton gets called up before September is injury, but not just injury to Chew, in my opinion. I think if Jay Bruce were to get injured uh, sort of long-term, they can shift Chew over to right field and bring up Hamilton to play center. Um, yeah. Although I still don't even know if they'd do that, uh, given the fact they'd have Chris Heisey to fill in it um, in that instance. Uh, the thing that I, I'm hearing here is, first of all, I've never been quite as high on Billy Hamilton as it seems like everybody is. Uh, you can't steal first base, I guess, has been my concern. Um, how are Reds fans going to respond if, again, we talk about young players being inconsistent when they come up, even the period of development time when they come up, how are Reds fans going to react to a center fielder who plays, you know, perhaps good defense, is really fast, and uh, doesn't get on base a lot and strikes out a lot? That sounds awfully similar to uh, what we've seen uh, out of Drew Stubbs the last uh, couple years. And, and of course, Reds fans turned on him uh, pretty (laughs) quickly. So... Without the power. Uh, I, don't, I don't think Hamilton is necessarily uh, a good comp for Drew Stubbs, but uh, just I'm, I'm hearing these things that have been sort of a, the bane of uh, uh, a lot of the sort of a, the mouth breathing callers into WLW. Uh, a lot of their complaints. Yeah, and that and that's without the power that Drew Stubbs has. Exactly. Uh, but but you know if you compare their minor league on base percentages there isn't a whole lot of comparison between Drew Stubbs and Billy Hamilton and yet, so you hope that the on, even with the strikeouts that the on base percentage is high enough to, to get around the but but you know but you're right about the patience thing and, and you and I Chad you and I have gone on and on and on and on on these on the podcast about you know you, people have to be patient with these young players I mean it's just a fact of life and, and you know. You don't come up fully formed, you know you have to develop and 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 people are going to have to realize the same thing out of Billy Hamilton and devin mezzarock absolutely
0: yeah i mean i I think that you know the Reds fans in general the it's the sense that I get you know covering the minor leagues on an everyday basis that they are more excited about you know just the kind of stolen bases that he can have rather than focusing on you know what he can do with the bat it seems that almost all the time people talk about the things he can do on the bases rather than focusing on, you know, what he can do at the plate, which is going to be far more important because you can't do things on the bases if you can't get on base. And I personally, like you know, like you said, Chad, you weren't as high on Billy Hamilton as it seems like everybody else is. I feel like I've been the low guy in the totem pole in the prospect universe as well with Billy Hamilton. Um, you know, I think that Billy Hamilton is probably going to be an average major leaguer. Now, the question is, Can he be more than that? And when I say an average major leaguer, I'm already including that I think he's going to be an outstanding center fielder defensively, which means I'm not sure he's going to hit too much. Fortunately, center fielders don't have to hit too much if they can play good defense. You know, Drew Stubbs really only hit that first season that he had, but he was still, you know, an average center fielder for a few years after that until last year because he was pretty good defensively. And I think that Billy Hamilton, while they're going to go about their offense completely differently, you know, the Billy Hamilton could fit that same mold where most of his value could come from his defense. But, you know, there's a chance that, you know, if he can cut down on the strikeouts a little bit and keep, you know, a 10% walk rate, that, you know, he could be an all-star level player beyond, you know, people voting him in. Like, he could legitimately be a four or five win player if, you know, he develops fully with, you know, his bat. You know, cutting down the strikeouts, hitting for a little bit more power, and then, of course, you know, He's going to add a lot of runs on the bases, not just with the steals, but, you know, going first to third on routine singles, going first to home on, you know, long singles for certain guys. You know, he he, he really can be a game changer on the base pad. The key is, you know, what can he do, you know, before he gets on the base? You know, can he hit enough to be more than an average player? You know, can he... Do enough to where he can be a legitimate All-Star, even if he weren't stealing, you know, 50 to 100 bases. Because I really don't think that a team is going to run a guy that much, especially on this team in front of Joey Votto. I don't think there's a chance that he's going to steal more than 100 bases, even if he gets on base a lot, because they're not going to want to risk the that, you know, Joey Votto could come up to the plate with nobody on base because somebody got thrown out. That, that's just my opinion.
1: Yeah, I think you're right.
0: Yeah, I do. too. To me,
1: the, the the comp for Billy Hamilton right now is Deon Sanders. Oh God! one you know,
0: comp that I've always thought about. You know, it's not entirely accurate because they're different kinds of hitters. But you know, I've always thought of him as a Michael Bourne type of guy, mm-hmm. or his ultimate ceiling, or maybe even a Brett Gardner, you know, as his ceiling. You know, neither one of those guys can hit for power, and both guys strike out in that fifteen to twenty percent range. But they've made it work for them. They've done enough you know, on the base pads and with their defense being so good, they've been really good players while, you know, being marginal hitters. Um, You know, Brett Gardner walks a little bit more, but, you know, that's that's kind of where I see him if he reaches his ultimate ceiling. And both of those guys are underrated in general by baseball fans. But if you look really deep into how good they are, both of them are very, very good players. But uh, we're out of time, guys. Uh, Thanks for tuning in and join us next week.